and welcome to a very special edition of Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. I am your host, Double D. You can find me at twitter.com, Folsom County. Also with me, as always, is the above-average comedian, <laughs> Dan the Man Law. You can find him at twitter.com, DanLaw83. Also, Hi. back from special assignment from last night, it's Mark <laughs> Go Thompson. Where find him. Going? I don't Where do I keep going? I yeah. Taco Bell. <laughs> I knew it was something simple. Taco Bell is the way it is. You can find Mark at Go Thompson on Twitter. And joining us is Omega Squad. Can I use your real name tonight, or are we just going to keep it on the download? You you can use it, my real name, I suppose. It's well, we'll, I'll make that benevolent choice. It's O. Chris Green is with us, also better known as Omega Squad. I've been I've been jazzed up about this interview all day. I, I've been I've been watching uh, Dan Severin videos. Um, I actually watched him wrestle on Shotgun Saturday night oh, to get prepared man. for this. Shotgun set lot. What was it? Yeah. Lot uh, he, right he wrestled around. a guy named Robert Thompson. Is um, that I mean, a relative of yours? Uh, oddly, yes. Yes, we are related. Oh, I, I was saying that as a joke. Uh, no, how no, are you related? no, I, I, I'm joking. I hate you. I, I pulled the old <laughs> switcheroo on you. You that did. Was, uh, that was slick. As slick as uh, Dan Seffert's assistant. But if you get a chance, you should really watch the, the match between him and Robert Thompson because it's really Robert Thompson's, like, last moment on Earth. I was going to say, like, I can imagine someone like uh, Severed just... What do I call him? Dan the Man? Dan... T- I, can imagine, I can imagine the Beast just wiping the floor with this guy. He he, he eventually does the... Uh, it's like an upside-down fireman's carry into an armbar, and it just, like... It almost just looks like he's not joking around or not <laughs> wrestling him. He's really putting him in an armbar, and you're like... No, this is this is Robert Thompson's finest and saddest moment all at once. Now, I mean, did it look anything like the night that Saturn just beat the crap out of that guy on TV? It's it's a little close to that. Who was that he was wrestling that night? Gosh, I I forget, but that was Wait, rough, wasn't it? Yeah, and I remember seeing it like it, and on Channel 19 WGTW. Philadelphia yeah, Bloomington. This got rough. He did a bad bump who I forget who it was. And and Saturn almost killed this man. <laughs> oh my God! He assaulted him. Um. So uh, now I've got a lot of wrestling stuff to talk about. Now, Chris, you I know are a big MMA guy. Um. And the only thing I know about this is that when I was a kid, we illegally watched the first uh, pay-per-view that he was in. Uh, might have been UFC 4, is that correct? Yeah, UFC 4 was his first uh, tournament, yes. And oh. it was him him versus Gracie in the final, right? Yes, yes, and it, Gracie. It, the whole match, I don't know about you, but I watched it, I was like, dude, this this beast guy, this Dan Severn guy, he should just win. He's he's had Gracie on his back the whole match. Yep. And, and and you, you kind, don't you did you kind of feel cheated at the end like I did? No, because I I had watched uh, uh, I had seen the first UFC, and I saw Hoist Gracie, you know, basically destroy bigger, stronger guys all the way through. 
So it wasn't actually a surprise. So so is now now look, you're like my UFC expert. Is that how Gracie normally fought? No, I mean I wouldn't say it was how he would prefer to fight. I think he would be, but he was Gracie was always very comfortable off his back. Um, you know, he was never. You, you see a lot of BJJ guys now who are just who can fight off their back um, and, and are very comfortable fighting off their back. Whereas wrestlers, pure wrestlers like uh, Severn, uh, are sometimes uncomfortable being on their back. It, Gracie fought. You know, he fought a variety of ways, but yeah, he would pull guard and 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 clamp on a triangle or an arm bar or something too. But I, I wouldn't I wouldn't characterize it as as being his style. Yeah. Okay, that's what I just wanted to check. You know, because I didn't know like like I said, I've seen so little of it. I just remember even watching that tournament. I felt like Dan Severn was really just laying the wood to people that whole night. Yeah, I kind of wish I had the. Uh, I mean, we used to have the VHS tape of that of that tournament, and I wish I had, still had it. So I now, how many interview. how many years was he uh, MMA fighter? He's been an MMA fighter since 1994, I believe. Because I don't because re- I don't remember. Oh, hi, Dean. <laughs> I don't remember. I don't remember having him having that long. I'll get this out eventually. I don't remember him having that long of a stint in the WWF. He really didn't in WWF. Uh, WWF, he was just uh, it was, really there for what? Like uh, it was not even a year. year contract. Yeah, but I don't even think he made it out the year. Mm-mm. No, I just that, unfortunately wrong place, wrong. I felt like it was a good push too. Like if you, yeah, it, the the I, once again I YouTube'd a bunch of stuff. If you watch the YouTube match between him and The Rock, they were really making it out with Ken Shamrock and Dan Severn be like. This is the new wave of WWE guys. You got to watch out for them. Yeah, they're gonna win the King of the Ring. This this is your finals and the King of the Ring. You're, everyone's in trouble because these guys are here, and it feels like they kind of once again in very WWE style flopped flat on their face doing it. Yeah, I agree. I agree because then he was there, and then it was like he was not there. And I, I again I. Ignorantly, I knew about the long uh, NWA title reign, but I didn't know how many times he held the championship. I I, I didn't know. I'm bad. Uh, he I, I one of the questions that you know imaginarily came up with, and if we have time for it, that'd be great. I'd really like to talk to him because you know my man crush on Chris Candido. That's who he wrestled for that title. <laughs> you know, I'd love to hear about like wrestling with Candido. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and we mentioned it last night, Dean. Um, until TNA got a hold of the NWA title, don't do you think that was? Uh, and I say uh, tarnished the history of the NWA title, and it really doesn't really matter at this point. But do you think that really tarnished the, the history of the NWA World Title? Anybody? <laughs> Here's the thing with the NWA title, and I feel bad for it because, like. That's like it's not only is that like the world championship in the WWE, which is like this weird backseat title, yeah. but like every incarnation of it that kind of floats around the country now. I don't know, man. I just feel like so many great wrestlers held that belt so long and so many times. I just wish someone would take it, polish it up, and be like, no, 
no, this is legitimately, you know, a title that people cared about. This is the world title. This is the this one. This is what Ric Flair held. This is this dates back. Times. Yeah, that 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 Tony always talked about dating back to 1905. You know, this, this is, is the wrestling heavyweight championship. End of story. Yeah. You know, and like once again, I feel like even like both titles have their gaffes at this point. You yeah. know, like you've David got a David Arquette holding an NWA title. You've got, I don't know, uh, terrible WWE champions floating around right now. It's fine. It happens. But like uh, history as a whole for it. Like if I were Dan Severin, which I believe he's the third longest reign of that belt. That correct. would be correct. Yeah. Yep. Um. That dude should hang his hat on that man. That's like I, it, it, you're in the running with like a Ric Flair. Do you know what I'm saying? Like Ric Flair. Like when well, you what was the longest reign that Ric Flair had? Flair would only do like one year, lose it, win it back uh, very quickly. So while Flair had it pretty much from '83 to '91, uh, he would win it, lose it, win it, lose it within a year's time. So now, um, he, he, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, th- this is like a totally weird question that's kind of off Dan Severn topic. But like, do you think that's what started this whole fast championship era that we're in now? Yeah, well, I think it has because it's like we got to get somebody somewhere in the same number of Ric Flair. You got to fill that list up somehow. Were you waiting for me? Um, yes. I, I I I wouldn't think it was that. I think it was really during. Uh, the Monday night era where it started flipping um, relatively quickly. Where CM Punk, he won it in November, and now it seems like he had it for such a long time. You know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) But it's not really that long in the realm of things. Take it away, guys. Just holding on to the belt for any number of months nowadays is is a, unless you're John Cena, is a a feat in itself. A real feat, yeah. It, well, and that's I just feel like it's kind of a shame that, like, if you hold on to it for more than a year, that the attention span of your normal wrestling fan is just that sad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the other day someone mentioned, how many times Triple H been champ? I believe 11 at this point. Yeah, how? Because, because I'm fast. Because that's what I'll say. You know, when WrestleMania 8 came around, uh, WWE sold Ric Flair as an 11-time world champion. They just they just said world champion, not to acknowledge WCW or NWA or any of that. Right. But like when I was a kid, I was like, 11? Hulk Hogan's only had it three. Yeah. You know, you're like the Ultimate Warrior only had it once, and that dude's like these are your your greatest guys. I'm I'm in complete agreement with you, Mark. I mean, how? And I, I'm going to use Sting as another example. Was he like ten time? Probably. Uh, if you if you put the TNA title in there, uh, probably and more I than am, that. That's kind of a shame him. for him. Like even like even though I kind of at certain points got sick of Sting's like stealing movie gimmick. Dang. I, I just think that like yeah, overall. Like I liked Sting more when he was fun. Yeah, I like when I agree. he was a loudmouth. Like when he was a better spoken Ultimate Warrior. And that's not saying spoke. much. But but he was. He was like fun. He was entertaining. He was like, and I thought he was a really good uh, face. 
Do you know what I'm saying? And I, I just think that, like, when he went Crow and then he went Joker, I just feel like... <laughs> I just... Oh, Thank God he hasn't ledgered. You're like... You're a grown man. Yeah, but he seems like he's having fun with it. He, he I mean, does, he does. And at a certain point, you got to give a guy credit that's been in the biz for so long... He should be able to write his own ticket at a certain point, you know? Yeah, right. That's what I mean. I mean, again, it's and, – and I, I'm going to hate myself for saying this. It's better to see him in that role than to see him as the world champ because he's not on top. He, he shouldn't be on top right. anymore. And hopefully, you know, this is this is one of those things. Hopefully he writes himself out before he – like, I feel bad for, like, a Rick, Rick Flair. Flair's, yeah. Rick Flair, like, strike – like – even Hogan like is there now, and it's just like, man, you're striking me as sad. Yeah, like, like you're ruining like a part of like what I grew up with, man. I don't know. I digress into a sad little hole. No, I <laughs> mean, but I, wrestling is still king, and Coco Beware is going to come out and make us all laugh. Not Coco Beware. He's got goggles on. Ha <laughs> 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 Look at that little bird. Yay. He's flapping his pants. Is he wearing parachute pants? That's adorable. He was... The other favorite part of the movie Beyond the Mat for me was Coco Beware. Instead of... Other than um, the moment we talked about, Dean, <laughs> it's uh, it's the moment uh, that uh, Coco Beware is just shown for a couple minutes. Like, oh, God. No. He is a Hall of Famer. I think he should have respect. Well, no. Honky Tonk Man, 2013. Honky Tonk Man, never. I hope that Honky Tonk Man and um, is Greg Valentine in yet? Yeah, Valentine win it. Yeah, no, that's a shame. Be dog. It's gonna push for him to be in. Who dog? What? Be dog. He's in. Who dog? Droopy. Droopy. What the hell hey. are you talking about? Greg Valentine. Oh, yeah, he is a little bit droopy um, these days. Uh, Does anyone here... I'm going to ask Chris. <laughs> I'll start with Chris. <laughs> Does anyone enjoy a Greg Valentine match? Oh, no, Chris. <laughs> there has to be a Greg Valentine match that you enjoy, and I'm going to tell you what it is. Ready? <laughs> no, 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 I'm dead serious. I'm dead serious. Are you ready? If you uh, say Piper, dog collar <laughs> match, I'm going to How did you not enjoy that? I I don't. It's 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 like every other Piper, Greg Valentine match. Piper staggers around the ring drunk because he shattered his eardrum. See, I do like that match, but it was Piper for me. I Greg that just you know he might as well give you some. <laughs> Actually, he could have been fighting a sack. But let me let me get Chris's. Uh, <laughs> what do you think of uh, the Hall of Famer, Chris Greg Valentine? Uh, you know, it's been so long since I've seen him him uh, wrestle and, and, and or watched anything of his. So I don't know if I don't really know if I really have an opinion on it, honestly. <laughs> Imagine just, wasn't just, he an intercontinental champion somehow? Yeah, well, you know, I could mention so other people that were uh, uh, intercontinental <laughs> champions that didn't deserve it. So was uh, uh, he was a U.S. champion? Well, that title has some legitimacy, all right. Yeah, I'll tell you. It's all about the prestige of the title. It's still real to me. I am going to bring on Dan the B. Severin right now. Hello, Dan. This is Dean uh, from Hell in the Cell Talk Radio. Thank you. I'm sorry that we had the communication problem, but welcome 
to Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. How are you doing tonight, sir? Dean, I appreciate being here. Actually, I was just kind of tied up in a few things and had to, re- had to relocate your phone number. Okay, so. well, I, I'm glad that we got it all worked out. I'm joined by Dan. I'm joined by uh, Chris and Mark. So we have a few questions. The first one um, is a very basic one. UFC 4, that was your first uh, tournament with the UFC. Uh, just take us back to that night, if you would, uh, what you remember most from that from that night, your first UFC tournament. Well, I mean, a, a lot of uh, your listeners, uh, you know, they, they, they probably can't even comprehend single-digit UFC uh, shows because uh, what are we up to, 140? Uh, I don't even know what the, what the number is. I just know somewhere in, in the 40s, 140-something. But, uh, you know, it was uh, a whole different uh, era, Dean, at, at that time. I mean, what what's your... What your listeners watch now on television is known as mixed martial arts. Mixed martial arts has approximately 37 rules. Part of those 37 rules are their weight classes, time periods, athletes wear gloves, and uh, they fight one opponent in a given evening. Back uh, in, that, in that era of UFC number four, it was known as no holds barred. There was only two rules that the athletes had to abide by, and those being do not bite your opponent, do not stick any fingers in their eye sockets. No eye gouging. And that was the only two rules. Anything that you could possibly think of and let your imagination go wild, you were good to go. And it was no weight classes, no time periods, uh, bare knuckled action, and it was an eight-man tournament. You had to face and defeat three opponents in less than a two-hour pay-per-view. So a whole different era all together. Okay, Mark, uh, you have a follow-up, right? Absolutely. Um, so that was your uh, your first one. Um, yep. Basically, what I want to know is if you had to take your start right now, um, do you think that you'd be able to hold your own against uh, the the way this the fight system is structured now? At fifty-four years of age, no. Well, how about in your prime is basically what I was trying to say. Like, if you ju- were just starting out right now, how do you think you would fare against uh, your MMA fighters of today? Mark, I mean, honestly, people were blown away with what I did in 94. And in my opinion, I was already a decade past my prime as a wrestler. If you really wanted to see me at my prime, you should have seen me from 1984 to 1986, because I would have, I would have retired in 1984, had everything gone the way they should have gone in my amateur wrestling career. I should have been the Olympic representative. I should have been the Olympic gold medalist. Instead, I had to be, sit there in the stands as the the number two guy and watch the man in front of me win a gold medal. He didn't. He didn't give up a single point to any of his opponents. Everyone that he wrestled, I had pinned in less than one minute each. Wow. So that was that was a hard pill for me to swallow. And so for the next two years, to say I had some issues, both me and Mark, is probably an understatement because politics prevailed in my match. It was close. 
uh, wrong calls were made, the wrong things uh, got resolved, and so for the next two years, I I made an oath to myself that I would never allow that to happen and be be held in the hands of referees or officials, and I ended a lot of people's careers, and that, again, was in the nice amateur wrestling sport where there's a lot of rules and regulations. So, like I said, if you really want to see a true beast, you should have seen me at that time, you And with that said, and what you asked, I think I would have destroyed people. Because, I, I, again, I know, I know what my ability... I know what my ability was at that time. It's not there anymore because the reality is I'm a 54-year-old guy. This is my final year doing mixed martial arts. Well, because there's there, there comes a time in, in all athletes' careers that you have to quit the game. You have to walk away from what uh, you're known best for. But I've had probably one of the most... Uh, Iron Man, longevity type of careers, probably than almost anybody that I can think of. Dan, this is Chris. I I, I really like that last point because you've been. I, I saw in another interview that you've been uh, competitive on a national scale since the early seventies. So you know, over forty years of of yeah. competition. Nineteen seventy-two, Chris. Yeah, I, that that is just amazing. How does how do you what do you attribute your longevity to in an age where we have guys in mixed martial arts who retire in their 30s after you know 15 16 fights you've got over 120 fights how how, how have you managed to stay healthy and and competitive all this time I'll, I'll give you a couple a couple of different answers to it but they all basically play off of each other I, I'm a big believer you know again I use a lot of cliches and one of the cliches would be one of the cliches would be, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. Those that bring in the striking arts, you look, here's a perfect example, Chuck Liddell. Chuck Liddell almost held two records simultaneously, those being the most knockouts and being knocked out the most. <laughs> kind, of like, kind of like Babe Ruth in baseball, he was either going to hit a home run, or he was going to strike out in a process trying. And, that, and, and that's where my strength has always been my grappling ability. I worked on my, my striking skills all the time. I, I, I didn't say I spent more time on my striking aspect than in my grappling because I was always good to go the moment I could lay hands upon. Because I always figured once I got into that clinch, my opponent was never going to see the light of day again unless I decided to cut him loose, and that's where you, you know, they, when you they watch Randy Couture, you know, they talk about his dirty box stuff like this. You know, Randy's background is a Greco-Roman wrestler, so we share, you know, that that common uh, that common trend there as well. You know, knowing how to clinch guys, how to throw guys, how to use close quarter combatants. You know, so you know to answer that question, it, it's the fact that what I relied upon heavily in, in my career, my grappling ability. I've been able to sustain very, very little damage. Matter of fact, I've actually been hurt. I, ironically, I have been hurt worse in my professional wrestling career than I have been hurt in my cage 
fighting career. And that's almost like a contradiction in terms. And even more yet, I've been hurt more in my amateur wrestling career than in the other two sectors. But then that's out of just sheer number of matches. You know, in uh, you know, I talk about being an amateur wrestler, starting wrestling in 1969, winning my first national title in 1972. Did not just compete on a national, but winning my first national title in 1972. You know, it's I mean, I could go into all kinds of different areas. I mean, there's. You know, and, it, and the bad part is, is a lot of it's going to probably sound like conceit or, but to me, it's like, I'm to be stating mere facts. You find another human being that has either been present on this on this earth at one point in time or, or currently walks this earth that can claim all the credentials I can. There's nobody else that I know. And that, that's, just, that's just matter of fact, ladies. I started everything so much later because, you know, I was 36 getting ready to turn 37 when I started my cage fighting career. I was, when I was, when I worked for the WWF, now now known as WWE, I was the oldest rookie ever at the time at 40 years of age. You know, but that's when opportunities present itself, you know. I had, uh, like I said, had things gone the way they should have gone for me back in 84. Oh, I would have never been involved in no old barred cage fighting. I would have been long retired, out the pasture. Wow, that's that, that's a, that's it's amazing that you you've been 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 in there this, as long as you have. It's it, it's fantastic. Well, even even Mark, as you know, this one more like as a high school junior, high school junior, I went to a very small farming community. College coaches. College programs did not look at little class C schools. They looked at class A, class B because of the abundance of athletes there. It's sheer numbers game. In order to get recognition, in one particular uh, event, I went two different age groups. I went the junior age group, which is 18 years and less, and I went three weight classes, 198, 220, and heavyweight. I also went to the open uh, age category, which, which was anything over 18 years of age, three weight classes, 198, 220, heavyweight. Two age groups, total of six weight classes, 17 matches in one day. And I walked away with six gold medals. You find another human being that can claim that one. The rules have changed. You can't even do that anymore. It's kind of like the Noah's Bard era of, 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 of the... Uh, of well, the predecessor to mixed martial arts was the No Hood Bar era. You know, I'm the only triple crown champion from the era. It's now illegal to do so. Basically, I'm it. You know, but that was something that they had to change because just if you were to put the skill level of the, of the athletes today, because you know the athletes have have gotten better. They're 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 more well rounded. When I first began, a lot of athletes were one dimensional. I throw myself into that same category. I was just a wrestler. And the athletes would, would either be categorized as grapplers, which could have been a judo, jiu-jitsu, sambo, wrestler, anything that fell into that category, or you were fell into the category of being a striker, boxer, kickboxer, muay thai, karate kung fu. But as the athletes will figure out, okay, like the wrestlers, we figure out, start on our feet. I need survival skills. I need to be able to 
survival skills to either defend enough or strike enough to get to that body, to either jam them against that cage wall, to clinch them or to take them down and welcome them to the world of grappling. And the grapplers realize I'm okay while I'm on my feet, but if I should be clinched, jammed up into the cage wall or taken down, I just lost 90 plus percent of my arsenal. So that's how the sport truly evolved. Where, where today you have grapplers that can strike with the best of strikers and strikers that can that can grapple with the best of the grapplers. So the, the sport has gone full scope. If you made one change in the rules, you will see how these athletes would have to morph to adapt to that new rule. Sometimes I just you, know, you get fed up with with the the naysayers, you know, the uh, the internet. Uh, uh, you know, quarterbacks here, you know, uh, that, that, that you're like, well, why, why are you still out there, this and that? I'm, I'm like, well, because, because I, I, I can be, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, and it, it's, uh, it, it may not always be the, the cream of the crop that you're going against, but the same token, you know, there should be kind of like a, in golf, you know, how they have these handicapping type of things. If you give up for, for every decade that you give up to your opponent, Shouldn't you get like a little bit of, a, of an edge somewhere? Yes. Because you know? I've, I've actually gone, you know, I, mean, I think I've given up twenty. I don't know. I'm, I'm, doing, I'm trying to think. Well, even put my, my biggest age, Martin, but but, but it's at least twenty. There's an edge. That's a lot. Okay. Now, Mark, I believe you had the next question. Okay. So, as not only a amateur wrestler. But as an MMA guy, you ended up in professional wrestling. And from what I understand, for the most point, professional wrestling kind of scoffed at from time to time, kind of laughed at. Uh, how do you look back on professional wrestling as a guy that amateur wrestled and professionally wrestled? I mean, well, uh, MMA I, fought. Again, I, it's hard for me to always just give just short answers, but unique um I'm actually conducting uh, you know, my interview with you guys via the phone, but I'm actually sitting inside of my training facility here still uh, in Coldwater, Michigan, Michigan Sports Camp's training facility. And it's, it's probably the only environment that I'm even aware of where underneath the same roof there is amateur wrestling taking place in one room. There's professional wrestling taking place in yet the next room. Mm. I've got MMA guys inside the same room as the professionals because there's a whole matted area and they use these tackle and dummies and, and hand mitts and they go into all the submission grappling. And yet then they have in yet another room uh, all the heavy bags and there's usually a group of boxers, kickboxers that are working in that room on top of those, the, the next class is either in the weight room stretching out or doing a little bit of weightlifting routine ready to rotate. I have never found that environment anywhere else and all of the non-professional wrestlers have a newfound respect for professional wrestling because they see how hard these guys work. And they see and they're being picked up and they're being body slammed on this on this ring and stuff like this because you know, a lot of these guys have been in that same ring, move around just doing sparring type of sessions and they're like, wow, they could ne- they could never even a phantom of someone picking them up and slamming them right on down. So there, there is a whole new respect for that. And, uh, and, and it, it, it's, not, it's not a ring that gives really much. matter of fact, uh, uh, most of the guys will simply say it's probably the stiffest ring they have ever been inside of. <laughs> but, 
And again, I probably didn't did not even answer your question, but you know, just kind of give you <laughs> that environment. Okay, no, no, I, no, I'm back with you. Um, when I first transitioned, I really didn't tell many of my amateur wrestling friends because that was still um, they would have looked down upon me. And matter of fact, some some of them did in the beginning, and then they're like, oh, "Why are you doing this?" And I go, and I and I simply had to say, "It's two different commodities. Amateur wrestling is one thing." Professional wrestling is something else. Now, the similarities is there is a physical preparation and there is a mental mindset. Depending on what your role is, if you're going to be the heel, the face, you have to, that is your, that psychological mindset. You have to become that character because you're looking for responses, whether it be negative or positive, from, from the audience. And then if there's this, this, uh, this give and take, interaction that, that uh, the two athletes will have with each other, but more ultimately with what they're interacting with the crowd. So there is, uh, and there's just, you know, what I like is that, uh, I don't know, for, for either six or seven years running now that we're, we're known as the number one uh, uh, promotion here in, in the state of Michigan, independent promotion in the state of uh Michigan, and that, so that's something that, that my guys take a great deal of pride in. Matter of fact, uh, the name of our professional wrestling organization is known as POG, not for POG, but it, it stands for Price of Glory, and, and, and it's actually kind of a tribute to myself because I always tell uh, the athletes in here that there's no such thing as free. Um, things will either cost you monetarily, they will either cost you your time, or in the terms of athletics. It will cost you blood, sweat, and tears. So the guys, when they, I said, I want you guys to come up with, with a name, they came up with Price of Glory. And I thought, how befitting that is. Now, in 95, when you, how long were you in professional wrestling when you won the NWA Heavyweight Championship? I started my professional wrestling career as of the 1992 Olympics. Oh, jeez, that's, that's when a new ruling came down from the United States Olympic Committee. Now, and this is Dan, by the way. Hi, Dan. Um, <laughs> when you when you won the title and you ended up, uh, this is kind of a weird question, when you ended up having it as long as you did, I mean, did you, what does that feel like? When you when you have a title that much, have, what was the pressure like wrestling all those guys all all the time? As long as that was, you were the top man. Well, I mean, again, it was it was a different time era for the for the National Wrestling Alliance. I mean, honestly, I think at the time that uh, you know Dennis Carlozzo, uh, he you know no longer with us, but Dennis Carlozzo, yes. and I think who else uh, was involved with with the decision making of putting uh, of wanting to put in the strap on me, and um, you know the NWA pretty much was non-existent. Yeah, and and uh, because you know, really to put the strap on me was, was like a throwback from days gone by. I don't know. I, I had a chance to read uh, the Luther the Luther's book there called Hooker. Yeah, and it talks about you know of, of uh, the old territories and, and wrestling and being on the road and, and the whole nine yards. And I really enjoyed reading it because during that time era. You know, the strap was typically put on someone of true ability, because if you know, because a lot of these uh, professional shows were taking place at carnivals, and so when when 
they would be when they have this live show at a carnival, and the announcer would be in the ring and saying that if any man, woman, or child that that, that could last with the champ for five minutes would get ten thousand dollars. I mean, that was that was a shoot. That was that was real. Mm. Knowing that whatever poor slob <laughs> climbed to those ropes was going to be put down hard and fast. <laughs> so now when old Billy Bob climbs out of that ring or has been thrown out of this ring and he goes back up in the audience, you know, bloodied, battered, and bruised, the people think, God, it's got to be real. Look what just happened to Billy Bob here, one of our own. So that was the premise of profession for a long time. So literally, I was that throwback from days gone by. You know, I, yeah. I got a chance to, to, to meet and know Lou, well, first going over to Japan, working for that organization. And Lou Fez was the president of the Cauliflower Alley Club at the time, and he's the one that, that um, awarded me my very own NWA belt for what, wow. for, what I brought, for, for what I brought back, um, you know, prestige and honor to the belt. And I actually had, like, for example, Bruno San Martino. I don't know how he ever found, got my cell number, but he called me one night on my cell number and, and said that he was proud of what I was doing. And to wow. me, that, That's... That, meant, that meant a lot right there, just to get wow. a phone call out of the blue like that. Now, my question uh, deals with one of your title defenses when you were NWA champion. It was on the King of the Deathmatch uh, tournament. You wrestled Tarzan Goto in Japan. Can you tell me about that one specific match? Do you have any specific memory about that match? It was a crazy match, first of all. But it do you was remember? A crazy match and, and lots of blood, lots of blood. None, none of it mine, but lots, lots of blood. What, what, what's your, your what's your memory going away from that match? Because at one point a bottle was broken. He was chasing you with a broken bottle around the ring. I mean, what? <laughs> Yeah, what was, do you remember about was, that? I, I still, I mean, it's ironically that, that you guys are asking about that because that, that is still one of the matches that uh, it was it was way out of character first for, for, for myself. But that uh, that was just one of those matches where that it, it just it, it actually morphed and took on almost a life of its own as it was progressing. Mm-hmm. It, 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 there were certain things that took place in a Japanese crowd that could never have happened Mm-mm. in an American crowd. There, like, for example, there was one point in time we toppled over the uh, the barrier. Not, not, not in the ring. We were, we were battling outside the ring. And that's where, when the bottle and chair exchange were taking place. And we toppled over the metal guardrail. Mm-hmm. And, and you would have thought Moses himself was parting the sea of people the way that the people... <laughs> The way that the people just simply just got out of our way, and I'll bet you we went, I don't know, 8, 10, 12 rows back to what we're just mowing down, row after chair, row after chair, battling. It, it, it's a wonder somebody really didn't get hurt a lot worse than what, what really did take place in, in that process. But I, all I know is that was probably, well, my problem. It was, it was, without a doubt, the craziest match I have ever been involved with. Now, when you got the call up to uh, WWF at the time, and, and as you mentioned earlier, you were the old. What did you say? The oldest rookie. Um, yeah, Forty years, oldest rookie. Like at that age, at that point in your career, I mean, is that something you expected? Something you wanted to go for? And are you, 
happy with the time you spent in the WWF? Well, again, I'll have to answer that a couple of different ways. I mean, I I started off in my professional wrestling career um, in 1992 first, and realistically, I wasn't really all that long into my career. I, I should be training it before yeah. before having my before having my first matches. Right. Uh, and and I had to I actually had to feel sorry for a lot of guys and probably apologize to them because you know. More than on one occasion, they're like, "Dude, you're like a vice grip. You're a pipe wrench. You're just you gotta loosen up." And I, but I, <laughs> I did. I really did not know how to do that because I always looked upon people as an opponent. Yeah. And and, and now I have to look at this this partnership and of, of this magic that we're going to work together. There was never a together. There was simply what. I'm on my own when I step out here, and that's, I think that's what I liked about um, <laughs> the combined type of uh, art, you know, amateur wrestling. I, you know, the rest of the team can lose, and I can go out and win. Right. And, uh, you know, and in the same way with uh, jumping into no holds barred and mixed martial arts, uh, I, li- I li- rather rely upon myself uh, than, than uh, you know, football, 10 other players or something like that. But, uh, um, I was going out to Japan and doing my thing over there. Um, you know, again, uh, you know, to to reach the utopia of my professional career, I mean, I am at Madison Square Garden wrestling in front of, of a sellout crowd, doing something with, with, with Owen Hart and stuff like that. Yeah, I enjoyed yeah. that aspect. Now, in, in the beginning, I, mean, I was used a whole lot better in the beginning of my career. Yes. And I think somewhere along the line, uh, they realized that they had no control mechanisms over me. And I think that's that's when that's when things kinda of came to halt and uh they were afraid to put any kind of a strap on me because who's to stop me from going over to WCW? They existed at the time. To go over yeah. to ECW, they existed at that at that time as well. Yeah. yeah, I was working for I was the first first non exclusive athlete in for that company, and I will probably wow. be the last one. Um, at, you know, from that point, I mean, I had no restriction, but but again, that was that was a deal that that uh, we negotiated. Mm. Yeah, I was working for thirty-five promotions in the National Wrestling Alliance alone. On top of doing what I was doing, I, I gave uh, WWF, you know, WWE now known as, I was giving them sixty dates a year. And still climbing into cages on top of that. So being on the road twenty plus days, being on the road twenty plus days a month was pretty standard. I, I mean, literally, I always tell people that I lived out of a daily planner. I would wow. wake up some mornings and it's kind of like I have to look at my planner just to figure out where am I at and what is my <laughs> function today. Am I a cage fighter? Am I a professional wrestler? Am I going to go teach a law enforcement class? Am I teach an amateur class? It might teach an old bard class. I mean, literally, that's that's not bad, but at the same token, that's just how busy I was and still continue to be. Jeez. You you ask anyone that's in my training facility, they'll they'll, they'll tell you that I've got way too many irons in the fire, but it's, it's, it's like I almost don't know any better anymore. Yeah. Dan, just to bring it back to to MMA again, um, you, you look back over your 120 some odd fight career, 
And you, you see names like Hoist Gracie, you see Pat Militich, you see Oleg Tatarov, uh, you know, Mark Coleman. Is there one or two uh, fights or opponents that you you look at your career and say, if I'm making a highlight reel of my MMA career, that I want these one or two fights in it, definitely? Well, I mean, honestly, I I have been contemplating retirement for like the last, I'll say, three, four years. Um, and I'm a big believer. I, I, I don't leave too much into other people's hands. And I end up, I was trying to make three matches materialize for myself. Those being one more match with Mark Coleman, one more match with Ken Shamrock, and one more match with, with Hoist Gracie. I spoke to two of, two out of the three directly, both Kent and Mark, and through uh, representation for Hoist. And basically, all three agreed to do a match. Uh, it's just that the, the monetary compensation just kind of went way out of sync. And that's where it's kind of like, well, I just kind of got to the point that it's like, you know, I've been trying to, you know, kind of uh, chase these guys. It's like, well... Obviously, they're, they're not really interested, so sure. I, I, I just need to move on with my life now. And that's why I just simply, as of December 2011, um, I had uh, Mark Pennington, the gentleman that's like my, my right-hand man on Friday, uh, sent off emails uh, to all of the various uh, promoters and promotions that we had in our database and so they let them know that if they were ever considering utilization or wanted to utilize me anymore, that it had better take place during the course of 2012 because by January 1st, 2013, I'm hanging up my mixed martial arts gloves at that point in time. Jeez. So I, I actually did. I've had a great, a great deal of response. The bad part is... Um, not many of the matches have materialized. I had probably six or seven matches that were in the works simply just to have fall apart, and I've only had really one match so far this year, which has been one of, honestly, the slowest year of my career has been this oh, year. Wow. But that's, you know, huh. to me, it, does that really bother me? No. Trust hmm. me. Oh, Danny Boy here is, is on the go almost every <laughs> weekend doing something still. <laughs> Because if I was to think of booking for a match, it'd have to be at least three, four months out in order to just to, be, to prepare, plus also to fulfill the obligations that I have already committed to. Now, you brought up uh, POG earlier, and I'm really just dying to know. Uh, I know it's a spawn of the Beast Academy, which is your school. Um, how much are you involved in the company itself? I know you're very successful with eight seasons under your belt. Uh, how much are you involved with that, and uh, how much are you involved with the wrestlers and the storyline and all of that? Well, I mean, I, I'd say, um, I mean, in, in the beginning, I, I was the primary instructor for a lot of these guys. And, and the hard thing, well, when I first, uh, when I first got involved with professional wrestling, there were, there were really no no videotapes, DVDs, VHS tapes, uh, uh, Super 8s, uh, you know, whatever. There was nothing really to view. It basically was just was stuff handed down, and you'd see how how vast differences that uh, that one guy would teach one the, the exact same technique, but but two different guys would just teach it vastly different. So 
basically after about hearing, you know, at least the same repetition from some, some more of the, the more older traditional uh, wrestlers of, of really of, of legit ability stuff like this. When I heard enough of the same things, I basically made it law. It's got to be done this way. I, and and what, what one of my gifts is is I really understand physical mechanics a great deal. I, again, I think that's what has made me very successful uh, in my Nohos Bar mixed martial arts because I was, you know, ironically, you know, you, I've got these, I guess on record, there are 120 some odd matches. I, I think the print will probably still off by maybe another 20 to 30 in one of these days when I have nothing better to do. But to look back over my daily planners and, and, and say, well, you're missing this match and this match and this match. But hopefully that won't be until I'm about 99 and I have nothing better to do at that point in time. But uh, that I'll bother do, doing that kind of stuff. But it's, uh, it's, uh, lost my channel out there now, guys. Huh. <laughs> I was trying to thought. I was trying to make a point there, and I was trying to be witty out at the same time, and it just didn't mix for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Uh, well, Dan, as you as you look towards the uh, the future, um, I noticed that you have on uh, from your website you do have an IMDb page, and you do do some acting, and you got some stuff coming out. Is is that something you're looking to pursue more as you and retire from competitive sports? Well, again, I, I should say I, I'm only going to be tired from mixed martial arts. I'm, I'm going to be very specific about that. I'm going to be tired from Fair one enough. sector, mixed right. martial arts. You, I, I, I think I'll still have issues to where I, I can't become a normal person. I, uh, I don't know how to do that. Yeah. Uh, so I will. I'll probably jump into do a little bit of submission grappling. I may go back and actually do some amateur wrestling. You know, because at, at my ripe old age now, I get to go into master's divisions and stuff like that. You know, so I doubt if I'm going to find another, you know, 54-year-old guy that's going to push me around and uh, on the rest of that. Yeah. So I, I might have a little fun with that, but at the same token, you know, it's, it's helping, you know, helping the various companies uh, uh, maybe on a different level, you know, helping out the POG in one aspect, helping out the Danger Zone, that's my own mixed martial arts company, Ago, uh, I have uh, I've been teaching law enforcement since uh, 1994, and uh, corrections one year less than that. I, I work with the military, our, our border patrol, our air marshal. So again, that that just goes to show that I understand physical mechanics. Just give me the rules of engagement, and then uh, I, I teach a lot of the same materials from one sector to the next, but they're taught differently because of use of force or um, you know, just it just different things have to be done in order to be to conform to the warm and fuzzy state, the politically correctiveness that our world has morphed into. Now, point, the, point oh, blank, I'm sorry, point, blank, point blank, fellows, I am probably the most politically incorrect person <laughs> that probably walks this planet anymore. <laughs> Now, the final question I have for you as we uh, wrap up with you, and I do want to thank you for your time, uh, but when you look back at your career, uh, what do you want people to look back as your legacy? What is, when you look back on it, what do you consider your legacy? What do you want to be known for when it's all said and done? Well, boy, I tell you what. Uh... Hmm. 
You, you got me almost. You had me at almost a loss of words. Almost. Wow. Um, honestly, I, I would think that. Uh, I think that uh, I would want them to know me for being a uh, a unique athlete. Um, probably uh, you know, a, a unique, uh, honest. To the point of almost brutal honesty. Some people just can't handle that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I used to even say that even my enemies like me because they know that whatever I'm gonna say, it'll be the truth whether they like it or not. Uh, I just I'd rather hate, hurt you the first time than have to tell you a lie and then have to tell another half a dozen to cover the first one. I got I'm not that sharp and I got too much going on. Um, I guess being known as uh, this longevity, this Iron Man of athletics, to do things at uh, at an age. It starts at an age where most would have retired. But honestly, in, in all of the things that I have done, I probably still take most pride in my amateur wrestling career because you got to realize at the time that... Uh, I was wrestling. We were still at a Cold War with Russia. And uh, Russians were puffing up their chests, going, yeah, we've got nuclear power. And the uh, United States were puffing up their chests, yeah, we've got nuclear power. And uh, no one's pushing buttons. And so things were, were, were more or less... When you look at even the Olympic Games, there would even be, there'd be wartime. And war would be set aside just so that the games could be conducted, and it was just a different way of trying to show uh, superiority. So with that said, to be in an Eastern Bloc country, a communist-controlled country, and to be standing on the top of that podium, and to be having the United States flag raised, and the playing of the national anthem, that those that's probably the greatest reward I have ever I have ever had was to represent the United States and to have wow. something like that take place. And there's, wow. There's none of these, none of the current uh, MMA guys could ever even relate to that. I mean, I'm, I'm not even certain. I think Randy's uh, 47 or 48, I think, now. I don't know if he's ever, if he competed overseas during that time frame or not. Right. But, uh, I've, I've been there. And... Uh, you know, I, you know, I always tell people I've been to every country that has ever had a wrestling program and some that don't even exist anymore because there used to be in East Germany. I was there four different times over the course of my career to see the Iron Curtain and the Berlin Wall and to know that a wall and a fence was put up to keep people in. Not to keep people up, but to keep people in. It's a whole different mentality. And to be walking in, in the streets of Berlin and, and to see... Uh, machine gun riddled walls and to know that there were people that were executed there. Jeez. So that was, it's a very, you know, and that's where, again, a lot of, you know, I say politically incorrect because there's a lot of Americans that just don't realize the freedom that we have. Yeah. And what, and what we continue to compromise. And I'm, I'm tired of lowering the bar for other people. Wow. I just don't believe in a lot of programs that we're doing, but uh, you know, one of the things that that, that you know, that comes to that is that uh, this uh, 
this coming weekend I will be in Stillwater, Oklahoma. Uh, excuse me, Stillwater, uh, Stillwater. I will be in uh, Waterloo, Iowa. Waterloo, Iowa, at the uh, Dan Gable Museum and the Luthers. It's, it's the, the first professional wrestling, amateur wrestling Hall of Fame. Ooh. I will be their very first double inductee. I was already inducted in there for what my contributions of what I've done in professional uh, wrestling, uh, receiving the George Treos Award. And, uh, it, again, I'll be there with, with other dignitaries, but as I said, I'll be coming up their first double inductee. So I'm actually looking forward to that because what they said is that, that – uh, what I did in 1994 when I walked into that octagon, I have unleashed the hordes of amateur wrestlers now that have come into mixed martial arts. I was the first true amateur wrestler, and no one had trained five days and to walk into the world and no one was fighting. I've been credited with uh, turning amateur wrestling into a martial art in one evening and uh, opened up the floodgates to all the amateur wrestlers that are in there. And when you look at Weight class by weight class. If you look at probably eight or nine out of the top ten guys per weight class, you will see a lineage of an amateur wrestling guy. And you hear um, how um, uh, the one commentator there of uh, um, uh, Joe Rogan, how he says, how he says time and time again that wrestling is a must. It's a foundation that you must have in order to achieve success in mixed martial arts today. So he's one of the biggest advocators of what amateur wrestling uh, has brought to the table. So I, I appreciate wow. that. I, I'm giving amateur wrestlers across the world the recognition that they really deserve because it is, when you look at what happens during the high school season alone, basketball and uh Basketball and wrestling are, 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 are on at the exact same, same uh, time, season-wise. Every night you can watch you can watch your, your news, and you can see clips of all the various local high school teams and colleges that are showing clips and getting interviews. You see nothing for wrestlers. Mm-mm. You'll you'll see on a Sunday uh, on the Sunday morning paper you'll see the results. A little one inch by one inch column, where you simply just know that. Joe Blow went against uh, this guy over here, and he and the results of that match, and that's it. So that's why I give credit to wrestlers because when wrestlers go to college, they literally have to leave with tangible skills. Whereas right. there are other other types of of uh, sports where a lot of the athletes are just trying to stay eligible enough to make the draft, mm. and when they don't get picked, you know, the pre- depression falls in, and then they flunk out, and they don't realize, boy, you had a free education. Just then they yeah. took advantage of it. So that's where, that's where you know, a lot of wrestlers do well for themselves in terms of business-wise because, it's, it's, again, it's, it's a sport that it all relies upon you. You know, the definition of amateur is a team sport based upon individual performances. You can't pass the ball off to anybody else. You can't take anybody in. It's all you. If you had a bad night, Boy, yeah. <laughs> the crowd's about to see it, and there's nobody else that can that can bail you out of it. It's up to you. 
Now, Dan, I just want to thank you uh, for your time. Uh, you, you went way past... Uh, it was an the, honor, sir. Yeah, the time that was allotted. It certainly is an honor, like Dan just said, uh, to have a UFC Hall of Famer, uh, just and an NWA champion, the third longest reign. Um, it's definitely an honor, and I'd love to have you back on if you can ever free up some time for us. No, I, I would love to do that. I would think maybe, uh, well, again, I'm just throwing this out, that maybe in January, once... Uh, once I've got my rocking Ooh. chair out and uh, I'm starting to uh, knit some uh, some clothes or something like that, you might guys <laughs> want to see uh, what I'm up to, uh, you know? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Oh, oh absolutely. you got to send me a quilt, Dan. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, I don't think I will retire very gracefully. I think that once, when I'm even in that old folks' home, I think I will be uh, starting up a full, a full contact shuffleboard, uh, you know, league or something <laughs> like that, you know, oh, where man. that... You no longer need mouthpieces. You simply set your dentures over there on the shelf. <laughs> I want oh. in on that. Yeah. Okay. But, Dan, like I said, it was uh, truly an honor, and, and thank you so much. Absolutely. Nope. Thank you guys for having me on. Absolutely. Okay. Well, you have a great rest of the night, sir. Yep. And, again, just push my my website. I'll ask for one more time to, for, for dan7.com if they want to find out whatever else I've either done in the past or what I continue to do or what. What is next on the horizon for the man they call the beast? All uh, right. There you go. We will definitely push it, but uh, I'll let you get back to what you're doing there in Michigan. And you, like I said, have a great night, and it was definitely an honor for all of us. Thank you, gentlemen, and good night. Good night. Dude, he, Dad, he closes it out. Thank you, gentlemen, and good night. That's it. It's over. <laughs> what do you say after that? Nothing. You're wrapped. Goodbye. Well, we were uh, just talking with the Beast for a good 45 minutes. Guys, uh, your your thoughts. Mark, I I think you're just there with your jaw wide open. Uh, It it was a lot to take in. It was like anytime – I just love when you ask a guy something, and anytime he can just like – like whatever question you were going to follow it up with or like even the – second follow-up question that you maybe came up with after that just gets it's absorbed covered. into the the talking that this man gave us. Just absolutely amazing. Absolutely. And uh, honestly, let's just, uh, a round of applause for absolutely. just like really the greatest mustache in MMA history. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly, sure. seriously, that, kudos to him. You know what? I, go, go ahead, Dean. I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. I, I, I was I had just going to say, it, it, the man, as as Mark was saying, you asked a question, and then he would cover any other follow-up question you had about what you guys were talking about. And that man has experience that most of us will never see or experience ourselves. And uh, it truly was an honor. And, uh, again, I said last night the show has afforded us a lot of opportunities. And that is a name in 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 MMA and professional wrestling, amateur wrestling, and that just was that was worth living through the day. I I agree. Uh, Chris, do you have anything to add? You you look at uh, Dan Severin and you look at a man who is just good at everything he does. He's a great talker, a great storyteller, a great wrestler, a great fighter. You know. And and the fact that he's turned that those gifts into, uh, you know, I, I'm going to use a 
cliche term into an empire. You know, yeah. And he's giving back, giving back to the the wrestling community. You know, he's helping out law enforcement, doing all these things, just super busy all the time. It, it is amazing that that one man can do everything that he he does, and it, it was just a. As as everyone said so far, it was an honor and a privilege to be able to talk to him for as long as he's he is. Also, certainly aging gracefully. Oh, certainly. Um, I mean, damn! I hope I look that good. <laughs> <laughs> now, before uh, we go, uh, what's the website? Anybody have it? I have it. DanSeverin dot com. I already put it on our Twitter or Twitter account. DanSeverin dot com. Uh, it's actually a pretty well built website. I'm already on. Oh, it's it's a beautiful website. Uh, that's and, for sure. And, and um, it looks like it's updated a, a lot. So uh, go to danceeverin.com for your latest. <laughs> now, before we go, I just want to plug that we will be live. Uh, oh, yeah. This Saturday, July 14th, for War Games. Uh, oh, yeah. 530 will be there live. Um, we're going to get everybody on uh, that we possibly can right before the event. It's going to be 5.30 to probably about 6.50, because uh, last time we went pretty much until the national anthem. Um, a little Which, awkward. A little awkward. So. Not really. Just, you know, our producer needs to tell us when they're starting the show. I wish we were broadcasting from inside the cage. Well, we maybe we, I can go get an interview inside the cage. Just right during the middle of the show. Yeah, just go in and go. Like I just in wanna, the middle of the war games. Yeah, I just want to go. How you doing in there? Go with our little recorder and. <laughs> Everybody hey. else in there. Hey Chris. Hey Chris. <laughs> hey Chris. Yeah. Yeah. How got is this that Chris arm bar here? Right. Chris oh, Wild. Yeah, Chris Wild. But... Chris Wild. Yeah. Chris, I, I just wanted to know uh, what's it feel right now. <laughs> oh! First time, long time. Um, how's it feel to be in an arm bar? First time, long time. <laughs> arm bar. Yes, double arm joke. bar. So uh, we we have that coming up. And again, everyone who listened, everybody who is a part of this, it exceeded my expectations. Yeah, uh, it did, man. And guys, I'm just happy to be a part of the show. So until... Saturday. That's the next. This is a three shot for us this week. Uh, very busy here, Hell in the Cell, and you I love know, it. You know, the busier we get, we're going to just basically do a weekly, fuck, uh, weekly um, episode, uh, daily episode. That's what I was trying to think of. Daily you never episode. know. It could, it, it could come to that. But uh, so Chris, anybody who needs a show, uh, sign us, please. Uh, Chris, uh, thank you for hanging out with us. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, uh, buddy, that was awesome. I yeah, feel like man, we're closer really, now. Yeah, I feel like. <laughs> We're brothers. I'm going to come I, down there. Yeah, and I, have I, some I, pull, pull. I like you yeah. way better than I like Dan. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. That's fine. Well, I, I like. Uh, that's fine. <laughs> I, I think Mark should be replaced by you because you seem to come in every week. Oh. oh. <laughs> no, it was, it was great to be with you guys and actually be in the in the whole show for once, and it was, it was, yeah. it was great, great fun and a great interview. All right, and on that note. We'll see you Saturday, live at 109 Glasgow Drive, the Boys and Girls Club of Greater uh, Newark for ECWA War Games. And on that note, it's Radio Gaga time. It's Radio Gaga time. Baby! <laughs> you had the time! Not bored. It's just... It's not doing it. Radio! Radio!
<laughs> okay, we're, we're going to do it that way. It's it's not doing it. Everybody, come on with me. All we do is... There we go. Yeah. 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 Yeah.